Thanks for listening to the Media People Podcast, lively and insightful chats with the people who power the media industry. I'm your host, Victor Genova. For more episodes, you can go to soundcloud.com slash media people podcast, or you can subscribe on your favorite podcast service like Apple Podcasts or CastBox. Views expressed by participants are personal. Yuli Shumsky, the Director of Digital Marketing for Canadian Financial Institution, CIBC, stops by to chat. Born in the Ukraine before the fall of communism, Yuli emigrated to Canada as a teenager. He went on to study at York University in Toronto and quickly caught the advertising bug through a summer marketing gig. He liked both the work and the paycheck and decided to swap his life run going from full-time student and part-time employee to part-time student and full-time employee. The rest of Yuli's story reads like an unofficial history of programmatic advertising, where he worked on early digital bidding platforms well before anyone had coined the terms real-time bidding or programmatic. Yuli's also one of the founding members of Toronto AdOps, a not-for-profit organization aimed at bringing together advertising operations professionals from all corners of the digital advertising industry. CIBC is one of the top five Canadian uh, financial institutions, so it's essentially a bank that offers personal and uh, business financial products. So the portfolios include cards, mortgages, loans, insurance, uh, retirement savings, that sort of thing. Um, my role at CIBC is um, I play a big part in overseeing a digital marketing strategy and more so deployment and in-house ad tech structure. Before we go any further, I want to go back to the beginning. Where are you from? I'm from eastern Ukraine, born and raised. What town in eastern Ukraine? Sumy. Uh, it's a northeast part of Ukraine. It's on the Russian border. And you said it's pronounced Sumy? Like Sumy. Sumin. Sumy means, means bags, like carrying bags. Oh, geez. What was life like growing up in Sumin? Uh, it was interesting. Like post-communist state was definitely exciting. Pretty low on opportunity and aspirations. So you got to overlap communism and post-communism. You were there when the Iron Curtain fell. Yeah, so I was born in the communist era. I went to school in the communist era. I studied all of the ideologies. and But yeah, then I got to see it kind of crumble and I got to see what happened to... Uh, all of the post-USSR countries, you would say, once they got cut off from the main logistics and supplies from the Russian Federation. Itself. So you're talking like Belarus, Georgia, countries like that that were cut off? Absolutely, yeah. Belarus, Georgia, Ukraine, uh, Moldova, Armenia, all of the places that were connected to the Russian Federation under the Soviet Union banner, they kind of became not really good places to to live because you really had no opportunities and no foreseeable future for growth, either personal or professional. The country kind of just stalled. What did your parents do uh, in the Ukraine? My mom, uh, she used to work in a hotel, but she kind of saw that there is no progression within the country, so she became an Italian interpreter. Uh, helping, I guess, Italian firms establish some sort of activity within within Ukrainian borders because once the Soviet Union collapsed, like labor became really cheap, so a lot of foreign companies tried to get in, but obviously, like none of them really spoke English. So my mom saw that as a an opportunity to kind of uh, do better for herself and her family. So she studied Italian and she got masters in that, and she became an interpreter. So then really they saw opportunity after the Iron Curtain fell. There's a big difference for their careers. It's, it's really interesting. Like my grandfather used to be a cop slash a politician. And back then, like, you know, his, his 
day job, his day persona was communism is number one and anything that's not communism is false. But at home, he was the opposite. And he would tell us, like, this is bullshit. Don't believe anything that you're seeing. There is world outside and beyond it. So he knew how to tow the party line for his own personal safety and for his family's safety. Well, that was that was his life. Uh, like, he, he started being part of the system from the very early age. Like, he went through World War II, like, from the very beginning to the very end, from, like, Eastern Front all the way to the Western Front. And once you do that, like, it's pretty hard to be your own own person, I guess, openly. So he kind of followed the path of being soldier, being a cop, being a politician. Like, he got swallowed up by the Communist Party, and he thought that as long as I keep playing this out, I'll do all right. But he taught us the opposite. How old were you when you emigrated to Canada? Uh, Fifteen. Was there a bit of a culture shock for you when you landed? Because you kind of, it was kind of like it... You had you were raised in communist Ukraine, then you saw post-communism Ukraine, and then you come to a country where it's been completely democratic for, I don't want to say, pretty much its inception. Yeah, so one of the bigger, I guess, culture shocks, um, one of the things that I keep, keep remembering until this day is back in Ukraine, I was a little kid and I saw a picture on the wall, and the picture consisted of nothing but a sea of red lights. And I asked somebody, I'm like, what is this? And they told me that's a traffic jam. I said, wait, there's a, like, is that possible to have this many cars in one place? Like, I want to live where it's like that. Oh, I see what you're saying now. Okay. <laughs> and then once we, <laughs> we landed in Pearson and got on the 401, I was like, damn, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> Careful what you ask for. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you don't speak any English, right? So, and your only interpretation of the Western society is through. Things like uh, Terminator movies, Rambo movies, Bruce Willis movies, right? So that's what you see and that's what you kind of come to expect. But once you come here, you, it, it's, it's not exactly like that. No, it's not vigilantes taking the law into their yeah. own hands or anything like yeah. that. My next question is about people you look up to, your influences. I ask all of my guests this question, but I think you've given me probably the most inter- interesting answer. So I'll ask you, do you have any in- any influences or anyone that you've looked up to? Yeah, yeah. Um, American action movie heroes, man. That's like, that's what everybody used to look up to. Like, that was that was the thing. I want to be like Jackie Chan. I want to be like Chuck Norris. I want to be like Arnold. Uh, because those guys were doing the most amazing stuff that we thought was actually real and possible because it was America. Out of all of those actors... Any one film resonate with you the most? I have to go with Terminator 2 because I saw it maybe a hundred times. Really? You like that one the best? Yeah, it was like so futuristic at the time. Like you got to understand the way we got these movies, they were bootleg pirated VHS tapes. So it was gold. And once you had that, you would never stop watching it until the tape ripped. <laughs> <laughs> Were they dubbed over too in either Ukrainian or Russian? Yeah, it was dubbed over mostly in Russian with a single voice. So everybody spoke with the same voice. And if there were any instances where language in the movie was not English, the translator would just say they're not speaking English. So some American movies have like a, a good Spanish component to them. So those movies were really hard to watch because there was no dub for Spanish. Yeah, like a Desperado or something like that. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Take me back to your very first job. Oh, man, my very first job, like official legit job, I used to be a picker and a 
no, I used to be a packer in a warehouse. So my job was to make boxes out of cardboard and then follow a list of items that need to go into that box. And my career aspiration there was, you know what? I don't want to be a packer. I want to be a picker. <laughs> so the picker is the guy that goes through the warehouse to actually find all these items that a packer then puts in the box. But I never reached that career goal. What did you learn about yourself in your first job? That I can get really bored with routine jobs. Like I, I quit the job just because I got so bored of it. So you learned from doing manual labor that manual labor wasn't for you. Like I find myself to be handy, but if it's something that's routine, I'm like build a computer, build a robot to do it. Like I was, I was literally putting things in boxes and taping up the boxes. So that was probably encouragement to stay in school or go to school, which brought you to York University. What did you study there? So when I went to York initially, um, I took an economics major. And sometime into it, like maybe a year and a half into it, I was like, wait, like what kind of job am I going to get with this? Like am I going to be a government economist? Probably not something I wanted to do. So I switched to accounting. And once I got to uh, managerial accounting and you had to learn how to do inventory cost control, I'm like, wait, what am I going to be with this job? Like a factory accountant? So I didn't want to do that either. I switched to admin studies, uh, which had a marketing component, which I found it to be very interesting because you had theories, but at the same time, you were able to get creative with how you apply those theories. And I just kind of went with that. And there was an added bonus of having open book exams, <laughs> which means you could just, you could just, a lot of things were up to your interpretation uh, and how you wanted to structure them. So I, I, I found myself doing really well in that. And I just kind of went with that, and I, I graduated with uh, honors in marketing. I couldn't stand open book exams. I'm not good at exams altogether, but those just weren't for me. The thing with an open book exam is, like, if you never read the book, the open book exam doesn't do anything for you. Plus, in marketing, like, it was a lot of application theories. So you could literally just write things off the top of your head, and if you could somehow prove or, or attempt to prove that, like, your idea was right, you got a good mark. Something interesting, though, you mentioned that you graduated um, from York University, but your career started actually in your second year. Tell us about, I guess, your first gig uh, in media, which also was kind of your first gig out of university or in university. A close friend of mine was involved into this thing called affiliate marketing, uh, and he had a small, uh, he had, he had a, an opportunity for somebody to help him do search engine marketing. And this kind of, I kind of took it on as like a summer job, but I, I liked it. Like I liked what I was doing. I liked what I was learning. Uh, and I liked the steady flow of money that that was bringing. And I was able to like buy gas from my car without problems. <laughs> so, um, so I just decided to kind of maintain full-time employment. Uh, and I finished school, um, through nighttime and, and summer school classes. And my friends used to make fun of me. They're like, oh, my God, you're finally graduated, you know, after six years in a four-year program. Because it did take me a, a little bit longer to, to do it, but I eventually, I eventually did it. Yeah, but on the flip side, you were already four years ahead in your career than the friends of yours that stayed right through to their fourth year and did it full-time. Yeah, with respect to that, I got exposure to, like, um, how – a proper company operates from a startup level into like over a hundred people growth within just like a few years. So my exposure was very, very early in my career. Did that make undergraduate work easier for you? Like, I mean, by the time you're in say your fifth year, you've already got three years or two years of full-time work under your belt. 
you've got to be looking at your classes and your lectures a lot differently. So I was. And actually, at the time, York introduced digital marketing classes, which I took. Um, they, those, they, they were fairly easy. and That and, must have been remedial. Well, I just basically reiterated the stuff I was doing on a daily basis. Uh, and at the end, professor told me, he was like, I think you have a gift for this. <laughs> I didn't tell him I've been doing it for a couple of years at the time and I knew how the stuff works and he was like he was very impressed like we had a, a big group project it was basically me just doing the whole entire thing in one night and we presented it as a group and everybody got a great mark give us a two or three sentence definition as to what affiliate marketing is it's mainly performance-driven form of digital advertising. An affiliate marketing company would normally operate on a hybrid model, um, something that would resemble an agency from having direct client relationships uh, and account management structure. But on the flip side, like the executional logistics and methodologies are actually employed more so from the vendor side. So imagine an agency that does not send IOs, but they actually execute a lot of stuff themselves. And the stuff that they do outsource, like they would have very, very tight control over it. From there, you moved up within the company and became the affiliate development manager. What, what did that role entail and how did you move into it? So like initially um, in that gig, I was, a, I was a, what you would call a buyer. So I was a guy using a lot of different platforms like real-time media buying platforms to put ads in front of people. It's something that, like, I guess nowadays we would call auto-ops or programmatic. So we were using data and various targeting parameters to just, like, show ads to the right audiences. In, in affiliate development role, it's something like a publisher relations person from, like, a network side mixed with a buyer from an agency side. Because affiliate space works strictly on performance, you always have to kind of grow your affiliate base so people who are running these campaigns for you uh so you'd have to negotiate payouts you have to negotiate terms you have to hold them all accountable to like compliance because people will try all sorts of things just to get a conversion because that's what they're paid on um so you kind of you kind of grow on your distribution network while keeping them honest there was a bit of a gap until you moved into your next role at ypg so Izugal Ads was a wildly successful company. Uh, they, they were like really innovative and forward thinking. And what ended up happening is like they went from a startup of like two people to having, I think it was 150 people just literally in like three years. Um, they got picked up by an American entity and the operations were located, relocated to the States. Like the company originally was in Markham. And that's where I lived. So I lived down the street from my cushiony job, and then that job disappeared because they said, hey, we're going to just do this this role in New York. So you kind of became a victim of your own success then? Yeah, yeah. So I, I became unemployed, which was, you know, kind of okay. I was still young, so I said, you know what, I, I tried this digital marketing thing for a few years now, and it's the only thing I know, so let me go try something else. And I tried a bunch of things like, one of the things I tried was like selling people windows, like actual physical windows. Like actual physical windows. Actual physical windows, sliding doors. Not Microsoft patios. Windows. <laughs> no. And I hated that. Like I could not tell you how much I hated doing that. I, I imagine that'd be pretty rough. It was, it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a, yeah, not a good gig. I tried a bunch of things. I didn't love any of them, to be honest. 
one thing though uh, I did take time to learn and study was uh, FX market, so currency exchange, or day, day trading for currencies, whatever you want to call it. You actually using actual platforms, so like no broker involved. You're logging into a platform and you're you're trading one currency for another. So I didn't actually have it as as a job, but I studied it full time. Like somebody mentored me. I really wanted to understand how that works. So you were well ahead of the whole Bitcoin revolution because that's what people are trading now. That's the big currency people are trading back and forth now and capitalizing on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back then it was like you know you stuck to like your American dollar, like your Japanese currency, like the euro, like the euro. Yeah, yeah. Those those were the key, I guess, pieces back then. Things actually backed by central banks and not speculation. <laughs> Things that actually, yeah, you can buy stuff without a store. <laughs> you can buy gas with. <laughs> it all comes back to it, buying it gas. All comes back. So one thing I took away from that is using platform to trade one thing for another and then i realized how similar it was to real tra- real-time media buying and there are a lot of i guess methodologies and strategies and technical approaches that i learned from the currency currency exchange piece that could actually be applied to i guess we can call it programmatic or real-time buying i kind of it kind of gave me a completely different perspective because in real uh, you know like in media you use a platform to buy ad space in currency trading, you use a platform to buy currency. The only difference is there are two currencies involved in the currency space. You use one to buy another. But in media space, you still use currency to buy ad space. There's not really that much difference in how the two are executed. But there, there are substantial differences in, in, in thinking and, and just like school of thought and methodologies and, and how you would do effects and how you would, you know, all the factors that you need to consider within it. After your sabbatical was over, you landed at YPG, or the Yellow Pages Group, as a special projects and campaign manager. Tell us about that. After taking some time off, I was like, you know what, um, I, I really enjoy doing digital, so let me try and get back into it. Initially, it was a bit challenging because there seemingly were no other companies in the city that did what Google Ads used to do. It was hard to, to find a, a digital job, especially because uh, my textbook definitions and terminology of digital things just simply were not there. At Google Ads, nobody cared for what things were called. People just knew what to do and how to do it properly. So for me to go to interviews and show people my resume that said I had years of digital marketing and platform experience, uh, but then they would they would notice that I'm hanging up on things like I.O. I didn't know what I.O. stood for. Mm. I didn't know what day parting was. Right, like I knew how to do those things. There was just no definition for when we're actually doing them back then. So that was that was a bit challenging. Eventually, um, came across a job posting for a company called Uptrend Media, which was a small startup network. They were positioned at Yan and Eglinton. I went for an interview, and luckily for me, the person interviewing me was familiar with affiliate marketing, so they didn't really stress me about not knowing definitions. The understood the value I would bring to the operation. So they said, hey, man, you know, we, we, we will take you in. Like, we will <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll help you get back on your feet. So I, I became a, a campaign manager and, like, specialist ex- executions manager, primarily using, like, a DFP platform, uh, trafficking campaigns, uh, working with publishers, setting up sponsorships, that sort of thing. What ended up happening shortly after is that company got bought by YPG. And I became a YPG employee or mediative employee as part of the acquisition. 
from there after when Mediative uh, kind of rose up out of that, you became a product manager. How did that promotion come about? So that was actually quite interesting. What Mediative wanted to do is they wanted to enter the next frontier of digital marketing. Uh, and back then it was called RTB. So management approached me one day and they said, hey, you know, uh, we want to do this brand new technology piece. We want to bring it to market. We want to make money. We want to add value uh, because it's so tech-based. It's so platform-based. Seems like you're the you know the most technical guy here, so you're gonna be it. And at the time, I had no idea what they were talking about. Like I was completely, I'm like, I have no clue what this RTB thing is. Another acronym they were throwing your way. And it was the first time I ever heard it. Now I don't think they knew what it was either. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was very ambiguous. Um, I said, sure, whatever, yeah, I'll take the job. You know, yeah. Why not? It's a promotion. Why not? It's a, you know, it's, it's a promotion. I'm a product manager now. I've, I don't know what product or how it works. But interesting thing happened is they gave me, or you know, we got UpNexus as a DSP back then. And like five minutes after I logged into UpNexus, I, it really took me back to like my first job at Google Ads because there we used biddable platforms to buy space online. Like before it had any names, any definitions, we just called it buy. So you were training for it your whole life without even realizing I it. did not even know that. Like, I never even realized it, right? So I, I started to use UpNexus, and there is, like, almost no learning curve for me because of my previous experiences and, like, mentorships that I had at Google Ads. And at YPG, who primarily is a print company, especially at the time, like, they were completely blown away by how I was doing all these things so quickly with no support and no direction. I obviously, you know, never... <laughs> you weren't I, like I was up all night teaching myself this or... Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's basically the story I went with. <laughs> um, but the reality was I had previous exposure doing essentially the same thing. You've done a really good job of landing at companies and moving up two or three roles. Kind of what's your secret there? Like, what would you recommend to anyone? You know what? The best thing you can do is manage expectations. Uh, you can go into a company and people will expect things of you. And you, if you do not tell them what they should actually be expecting, that's not going to end well for you in terms of moving around and getting promotions. You have to tell people, this is what you're going to get. And when I deliver this, this is what I'm expecting. So when you did get that promotion, tell us what team lead for programmatic meant. So once once the RTB or programmatic started to scale up at YPG, they thought, hey, you know, let's put more bodies behind it. So a team expanded. And there's actually a couple of people from their ops team that showed interest. They said, hey, can you teach me this? Uh, I said, here's a login. Knock yourself out. <laughs> So a couple of guys picked it up and they joined the team. Uh, my job became just kind of directing it and guiding it uh, while also servicing the sales side of things and teaching salespeople on like the product itself and also like what the sales approach and sales strategy should be selling programmatic because it was so new. Oh, it was much different. I remember selling that two years ago. Yeah, exactly. So th as a team lead, that's kind of what my job was. I, I was a bit more out of the platforms, but not a lot more. I was still pretty involved in the platform, but it was kind of directing and, you know, mentoring and, and training people and trying to, you know, like liaison not to the sell side or the business side and go to agencies and support salespeople in their presentations, their pitches, that sort of thing. 
From there, you made the jump to one of the big agencies, media experts. You started first as their programmatic manager and then as the director. Tell us a little bit about that. Were you employee number one for programmatic there? Because it kind of sounds like you might have been. So at Media Experts, there is actually one gentleman, Scott Atkinson, who who I have met while I was at YPG, and I thought he was onto something with the programmatic piece. Like, he knew the stuff back then. And I kind of followed the guy. Uh, and then one day, I realized he had left Media Experts. And I said, you know what? Like, that would be a great opportunity for me to try to get in. Because I've always wanted to be closer to the strategy piece. Like execution is all great and dandy, but when strategy is flawed, your execution is not going to deliver what it should be delivering. Like you're not going to utilize the technology to its fullest potential. So at YPG, I wanted to be closer to the strategy, and obviously that's that's an agency move. Uh, so when Scott Atkinson parted from media experts, like I tried really hard to get into his place. With that being said, like he was a heavyweight over there, and I was like a nobody to them. But uh, after meeting with them, like my meetings went really, really well. Like they were very open-minded. They wanted to build a transparent model. They wanted to bring clear value, take all the smoke and mirrors and, you know, like bullshit out of the equation. So that was straight up my alley. And I said, you know, let's, 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 let's do it. Let, let, let me come on board and, and together we will do it properly. So I was employee number one. Uh, and what I started to do initially is kind of, managing their existing relationships with whoever they were buying quote-unquote programmatic media from and we just I, I made a business case which is really easy to kind of just take it in house and have full control because unless you do that as an agency you can never be fully transparent with your client and they definitely saw value in that we said hey man let's do it so a team got hired over time and we became the programmatic strategy and execution arm for all of their major clients, or all of their clients, really. From there, though, you moved on to where you currently are now, CIBC, kind of like the holy trinity you're completing here. You were vendor side, you were agency side, and now client side. Uh, you started off as a director of programmatic. What brought you over, and what did that role entail? While on the agency side, I saw how hard some agency people were working to educate their clients on digital marketing, on programmatic, on anything that has to do with tech uh, in the ad space. It, what I actually noticed is that the issue was more so on the brand side. It, it didn't matter how hard you try to educate them. I realized that putting a brand into a digital first state of mind was not going to happen due to an outside effort. Because these efforts were ongoing over and over and over and over again because internally on the client side, there was no catalyst for that thinking. And then I said, hey, uh, I could be that guy. I just got to find the right brand. I got to find a brand that wants to get there. And then I can go over to the brand side and add true value and help overall just help a brand strategize and understand how to use and deploy and extract success from digital and programmatic. So I applied at the bank. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, what happened was actually, it's an interesting story. What happened is I, I had met some people from CIBC at a Google summit and I got very curious. I'm like, what do you, you know, what brings you here? And they said, we're trying to learn about the tech. So I had a couple of meetings and I got I kept getting passed on to different parts of the bank, to different people to talk to, which was great because I got a view of the landscape before working here. And I think 
on my eighth or ninth meeting, they said, we want to assume more control and do the right thing with our budgets. We want to see the transparency. We want to see the results. We want to see the impact. We want to see the lift in our effort. So why don't you consult us? So the initial opportunity came via contract. Okay. So I was um, a contractor initially, just doing like consultations and, and, and just digging deep into what was happening with CIBC's dollars in terms of digital marketing strategy and execution. So working a lot with the agency and the marketing team at CIBC. You've done programmatic for agencies, for vendors, and now direct clients. What are the differences in doing that role or doing programmatic uh, between the three? So vendor side is heavily execution-based. And one of the key things I learned there really quickly is that unless you have good, clean data, your performance is not going to be meaningful. Like, you can optimize to click-through rate all you want, but if you really think about the impact and lift in sales, lift in growth, you need to have data to be able to make those data-driven, intelligent media decisions. And if you don't have that, you're screwed. That's what I learned about programmatic on the on the vendor side. Being on the agency kind of puts you into into a position to have a a good view of the vendor landscape. And one thing about vendors is they're very isolated. Like if you work for a vendor, you will never talk to somebody who works for another vendor. It's probably never going to happen. Or very seldom, very rarely, just because of isolation and competition. Like that's like discouraged to a degree. Once I got an agency side, like that sort of vendor isolation dis- disappeared for me because you know all the vendors wanted to work with an agency, and I took the time to kind of meet with a lot of people and study how they were doing things, study their business models, study their key to success, how they were executing, what was their logic, what was their thinking. So I don't know if I learned anything new about programmatic itself, but I kind of got a, a better understanding of how it should be done to achieve meaningful results. I, I understood how important strategy is, and I also understood how important customer service that needs to go with that because it's so new. Uh, if your customer service is not good, people are not going to trust you. Talk to us about Toronto Ad Operations, one of your side hustles. What is it and what are you trying to achieve with it? So it kind of took me back to, to YPG days. There were instances when I was at Mediative where there were problems, or let's say there were challenges or issues around digital delivery, right? Because we're all about execution. So technical problems, ad serving problems, discrepancies. And what you quickly come to find out is you're on your own to solve those. There's nobody else in the whole company that can help you. And I thought to myself, like, it would be so good that people like me could talk to each other because there is no way I am the only guy who's in this position. That was really the premise for Toronto AutOps, hence the name AutOps, right? Because the focus was on on platform people and, and trying to bring them together to share knowledge and best practices and kind of trying to figure out problems because uh, we, in AutOps space, like we all run into the same problems at different times. And if you have somebody with past experience to kind of guide you through it, things just get so much easier. You just, you don't waste any time. You just, you just solve it. Like, I'll just be honest with you, like Toronto Autops, like for me, 
and I encouraged for other people to do the same is when I was on the agency and servicing major clients, you do run into technical challenges a lot. There are situations where I did not know the answer, so I would reach out to like key people within the Toronto Autops community, and I would get their guidance and their help on how to solve these issues. And then I used to present the findings. They were like, how did you figure this out? Right. You reached out to your brothers and sisters in the industry. Exactly, yeah. And, and so I've done that, and, and I encourage other people to do that, and that actually happens quite often. Like I get messages from people, oh, I have this problem, I have this issue, I have this hurdle. Like, Can you help me? Can you recommend something? What would you do? Well, tell us if someone wants to reach out to Toronto Ad Operations and ask a question, how can they do that? Well, they can they can just uh, send me a message on LinkedIn, or you can go to Facebook and look for Toronto Autops Digital Marketing. It's a group. Just hit join, and from there, you know, the world is your oyster. Even help with acronyms. Hey, man, acronyms <laughs> is <laughs> all day, all day long. But that's really it. So we kind of started as a small group, and initially it was just people that knew each other, right? Like friends through the industry. And I remember our very first event was, I think we set it up maybe for 20 people and maybe 40 people ended up coming. I paid for the whole thing out of my <laughs> pocket. This is like uh, secrets now. I paid for the whole thing out of my pocket, but I told everybody we had a sponsor. Right. I said, there is a sponsor. Don't worry, guys. Like This is all taken This is an of. exclusive. It's, yes, exactly. Yeah. So people enjoy that a lot. And coming out of the very own event, the very first event, uh, it was so much positive feedback from people that just showed up. And I guess they did a good job spreading the word. From there, we, man, we grew into like big events with actual sponsors. So that was, that was very interesting to see it go from, you know, like a 20, 30 people Facebook group to it's like over a thousand now. Uh, we have flagship sponsors. We do events once a quarter. And shout out to all the sponsors. Uh, I love you guys. It's there to help and share knowledge and, and support. Like, that's straight up. There's nothing else, but there's no other agendas. There is no money. There is there's nothing else. Like, we're all one big family. And, you know, what families do is they help help their own members. And that, that's all it is. If you could go back in time and give your younger self advice, what would you say? Probably one of the best ways to position yourself for a promotion is to start doing things and start making decisions that are beyond your current job description. Like I see a lot people who are good within their current jobs who are expecting a promotion, but they have never shown their capability within the potential role that they're looking to get. I agree with that because, I mean, if someone is doing their role very well and they're only doing what's part of the role, it kind of means you get to keep your job. Maybe get a raise. It doesn't necessarily warrant a promotion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I I kind of started to apply this when I was at Media Experts. And given, like, the, the playing field was good for that. And I never looked at my title, my initial title, like manager. I never thought about what it meant. I only focused on how to move the business forward. So 
making calls and making executive decisions that were way beyond the manager title kind of brought me to a day when media experts just said, you know what, like, we're just going to make you a director because you're doing director things. So I, I never actually did things that were within the manager job description. I just, I took it way beyond just, I did whatever need to happen to grow the business. My signature closing question. If you weren't in media, what do you think you'd be doing and why? I'd probably still be doing marketing or some sort of operation, maybe marketing operation or retail operation. Just, I just like, I really enjoy making things come together uh, and I really enjoy marketing. So I, that's that's why I would lean towards my I like I like the creativity component with the marketing. Like you can put process to it, but marketing is art to me. Like it's 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 definitely art. So you can get creative with the process. I don't know how many other spheres out there where you, you can combine the two to to achieve something. Yuli, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That's it for today's show. For more episodes, you can go to soundcloud.com slash mediapeoplepodcast or subscribe on your favorite podcast service like Apple Podcasts or CastBox. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at VicGenova.